thinking about events that changed my life. Uh, you know, getting my driver's license changed my life. Uh, it took me three tries to get it. But I, I, I began to drive my mother to work in the mornings on my way to work. And that was a big switcheroo. And uh, so that, that changed my life. My, my move to Los Angeles from rainy, wet Portland, Oregon, where actually it only rains once a year. That's from October 1st to the end of May. Um, but it, it just, uh, I, I, I left there and I went to the desert of Southern California. And I think that's partly why I like the Eva Plain so much where I live. We live right in the middle of the Eva Plain. It's really, it's California weather and I really like the dry. Um, meeting Ruby changed my life forever. Uh, I remember meeting her. I thought she was a little stuck up. Um, I, uh, uh, I was with a friend. He was soft on her. Uh, I, I, it was before I went to college. I was there for another event of, uh, about eight months earlier, and uh, and and but I remembered her. And then when I went to to school, we we got hooked up, and and you know it changed my life forever. Um, graduating from college changed my life. I, I I had all kinds of jobs. You know, I was always moving jobs. I was looking for a better thing. You know, and 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 the Lord blessed me, and I found the better thing time after time after time, and then. All of a sudden, there's stability. I, 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 I had been working in a church as a volunteer for three years. I worked there for four more years. I landed in Hermosa Beach, uh, actually Manhattan Beach, where we started in California. Planned to stay there the whole rest of my life until I saw a vision where God uh, interrupted my whole life and, and our family's life and ended up moving us to, to here to start this church in Kaneohe. And uh, I believe that what I saw that day on that airplane was actually this piece of ground. And um, I could tell you about that someday, but the, the move to Hawaii changed my life. Uh, the, the birth of my children changed my life. I, I can remember when my wife became pregnant. I'm not ready for this. Um, you know, I, I see the first kid the first day, and he looks like me. And it's like, oh, my gosh, you know. And uh, I had this English sports car that I absolutely idolized, an Austin Healey. Uh, 3000 Mark III. It was it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful, and uh, I, and I decided that day I'm going to get rid of the car and she's going to be a stay-at-home mom. And uh, it changed my life. Uh, going to Japan, my first trip. I I, I recall uh, what that was like and and how terrifying the train system seemed to me in those days. But uh, I've been to Japan about 70 times since then. It changed my life forever. Events change our life, and, and the, the event that changes your life the most is the event of accepting Jesus Christ into your life, and the reason for that is the resurrection of Jesus. If you could do away with the resurrection, if you could disprove the resurrection somehow, you could disprove all of Christianity. It's, it, it, it's useless. It's just another human philosophy. I've been watching a guy loan me a, a video series, a, a thing called The Naked Archaeologist. And, and the guy is Jewish. He's an Orthodox Jew. And he does a really good job because uh, archaeology started out about 150 years ago. They would go to the Holy Land, Israel, Jordan, Syria, all, all that area and where the Bible occurred, Egypt. And they would dig up stuff to try to prove the Bible. Well, now it's just the opposite. You got archaeologists are going there and they're trying to disprove the Bible. And they've got the funniest theories. I mean, uh, I, I read a magazine about this and some of these guys are just scramble-brained. And so this guy goes 
and he disproves their goofy theories and he proves the Bible. And it's, it's pretty amazing the stuff that's been dug up. And, and, and his logic is, is incredible. The guy's a really smart guy and it's a really funny program. But he's not a Christian. And so I've been watching lately uh, and, and, and we're coming to the New Testament. And so he kind of, uh, as a non-Christian, would kind of like to disprove Christianity. And one of the things that he says is that there were many messiahs at the same time as Jesus living in Israel. Many people who claim to be the Messiah, who claim to fulfill the prophecies in the Old Testament. And he, he names some of them. He's got archaeology, the evidence of their lives and all this. And, and the, the distinction is interesting because he actually takes you to the tomb of Jesus or one of those two actual sites that people believe would be the tomb of Jesus. Both of them are empty. But he can take you to these other guys and, 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 and it's almost weird because it's like without realizing what he's doing, he's going, here's this guy's body in this tomb. Here's this guy's body in this tomb. Here's this guy's body in this tomb. We're not quite sure which is the tomb of Jesus, but they're both empty. <laughs> and so the, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It changes everything, and it should change everything in our life. After the resurrection, Jesus said these words about himself in Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47. He said to his, to his disciples, You can see now how it is written that the Messiah suffers, rises from the dead on the third day, and then a total life change through the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in his name to all nations. Starting from here in Jerusalem, you're the first to see and to hear it, you're the witnesses. You can see how this thing is going to create total life change in people. And you're the first to see it. You're the first to hear it. You're the witnesses. And what we know about those witnesses is that they paid for having witnessed this event in their blood. That every one of the people that were standing there listening to Jesus that day died a martyr's death except for one. And he died as a prisoner in exile on an island called Patmos, breaking rocks when he was a 90-year-old guy. And so they all suffered. And, and, and yet nobody ever of the disciples suggested anything other than, we saw him alive after he was dead. That's why they killed him. Because they clung to the fact of the resurrection. And, uh, but their lives changed the lives of lots of other people along the way. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the resurrection changed Jesus um, before he predicted what would happen in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. It says, Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man himself must suffer many terrible things, be rejected by the elders of Israel, the leading priests of Israel, and the teachers of religious law, that he would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. That was his prophecy about himself at the beginning of his ministry. Um, later on, after the resurrection event, uh, in Luke chapter 24, he's with his disciples, and he says, so, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures? Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Scholars can point out that there's over 200 prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in the life of this one person. Now, you know, you could run around and fake things. You know, you could take the, some prophecies and you could go around 
and you could make them happen to yourself. But you could not fulfill a prophecy of your own will like where you're going to be born or political events that would happen surrounding your birth. And those kinds of things were prophesied about Jesus. But he's talking to the disciples who are thrilled that he's risen from the dead, but they were knocked out, shocked by it at the same time. You see, what Tom, Tom got up here and said a few minutes ago about what would it have been like to be there on Saturday after the crucifixion before Sunday, the resurrection. Uh, you're going to be looking at some pretty bummed out people. We made a mistake. We invested three years of our life following a false Messiah. There's all these other goofballs that claim to be Messiah. He must have been one too. We're losers. Capital L. Bummer. And so Jesus comes back, and, 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 and now they're knocked out. It's like, whoa! And Jesus goes, you, you find it so hard to believe the prophets, the ancient prophets, what they wrote in the scriptures? Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? If you read Isaiah chapter 53, actually, if, if, if your Bible is constructed right, the, the story actually starts at the end of Isaiah 52. It goes through Isaiah 53. It describes a person who, who was born, who was, the Bible says, hard to look at, not easy to look at. So Jesus must have been an ugly man. Um, that's really what it's saying. Uh, a person who would be tempted in every way that we were, who would gather this great following, and then people would turn against him and betray him. He would be killed, and then it describes him coming to life and having a vast following afterwards. That's Isaiah chapter 52 and chapter 53, written 600 years before Christ, 600 years before the resurrection. And, and, and it's exactly the story of Christianity. You know, I was reading an article the other day on the Internet, and it was, it was, it was an anti-Christian thing. Sometimes I like to read those things just to think what the other side's thinking about us, you know. And uh, it, was, it was griping about how Christianity has conquered the world. And... Basically, there's more Christians in the world than there are anybody else. So Isaiah chapter 53 has come true. And so Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he goes, you guys find it so hard? I mean, you study the Bible all your life. Ancient Jews did that. Most of them would memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. He goes, you know all these prophecies. They're all fulfilled in front of your eyes, and you get right up to the one, the biggie, the resurrection, and, and, and that one scares you. And, and you didn't get it. And, and, and this changes everything. This changes everything. They, they, they start to get it, and it changes everything. He had promised a gift, and that was that he would send the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, verse 7, it says, But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. He's talking to his disciples right before the crucifixion. In fact, it's best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate or the comforter or the, the, the lawyer is another word for that. The Holy Spirit won't come. But if I do go away, I'll send him to you. In other words, the power and the, and, and the presence of God through his spirit was going to be made available to all of us. God not confined to one location on earth in the body of Jesus. But now the Bible is saying that our bodies become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And anybody that's a Christian will be able to testify my life was changed when I met Jesus Christ. I, I, I stopped drinking. I stopped being an angry person. 
I started to love my spouse. I started to treat my children with you know, more gentility. I started, what John Bevere was talking about last week, I started to start to want to make a mark in life instead of just sort of slough my way through life. I wanted to be somebody. I wanted to make my life count for something. I wanted to live an extraordinary life. I changed when I met Jesus Christ. Here's something that, that, that the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 32 about Jesus. And this is after the resurrection. This Jesus, God raised up from the dead. And every one of us here is a witness to it. This keeps occurring in the New Testament. We were a witness to it. We saw it. We saw it. One, one place says, we saw him. We handled him with our own hands. We saw the scar in his side. We saw the scars in his, in his hands. We are witnesses. This Jesus God raised up, and every one of us here is a witness to it. And then raised to the heights at the right hand of God and receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he poured out the Spirit he had just received. This is what you see in here. What's going on? Is all these Christians have experienced this incredible infilling with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and it's made a, a big hullabaloo in Jerusalem, and all these people have gathered around and go, what the heck is going on? And Peter is standing up. Peter, who had denied Jesus, you know, the night that he was crucified, denied that he knew him because he was so scared, now stands up in front of a crowd of people. And actually, in this speech that I'm reading from, he says, you guys are the very ones that murdered him. And we're all witnesses of his resurrection. And, and, and it's Jesus that's at work here doing this kind of stuff. And the Bible says that 3,000 people repented that day and were added to the church. Pretty phenomenal numbers because in the morning it started out with only 120 and uh, suddenly Peter is leading a mega church in Jerusalem. And what happened is people met Jesus. And it changed their lives. It changes everything. Well, the resurrection should kind of change you and me. Um, the way that it changed the disciples. In Matthew chapter 26, we read about the disciples and this whole thing we talked about a minute ago. Uh, at that point, his, his arrest, all the disciples deserted him and fled. But then after the resurrection, Peter and John would say in Acts 4, we can't stop telling about all that we have seen and heard. It goes on and says, the apostles testified powerfully to the res resurrection of the Lord. One minute, they're chicken-hearted followers of a Messiah who's about to be massacred. Something happens, and they're bold, brave people who die a martyr's death and never show a bit of fear or anxiety. They go out in, in sort of a blaze of glory, if you would. What happened to them? And the only explanation that's there is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that can explain the power that these people had as they went around giving their message. There's a, there, there are two major histories of Western civilization. Both of them are written by non-believers. Both of them will say this, that it was the power of God through the lives of the early believers that overcame the Roman Empire. If you, if you understand, early Christianity was illegal. It was considered a cult, and, and it was an illegal cult, and you could lose your life for belonging to it. And many did. In the Colosseum in Rome, I've been there. In the floor of the Colosseum, people lost their lives. They were torn apart by wild beasts. Horrible things happened to these people. They were, they were burned as torches. Nero, uh, the emperor, 
was, was accused of setting Rome on fire because Rome had burned. He said, no, it was the Christians that did it. And they did this wholesale slaughter of Christians. And they actually would put, like, like they called it pitch, but we would call it crude oil all over their bodies. And then time to a post. And, and, and they would light Nero's garden at night by, by burning the, the live bodies of, of, of Christians. Well, that much persecution in Christianity by 312 AD has become the official religion of the Roman Empire. What happened? Well, secular historians say it was the power of the Holy Spirit, miracles being worked in people's lives, people being healed, and people being set free from demonic influences in their life, and the guys that are writing this stuff aren't even Christians. And yet they're saying it was the power that Jesus promised would be associated with the resurrection that transformed individual lives, which transformed an entire empire. Am I making sense with this? Well, it goes on and uh, tells another story in Acts chapter 8. This guy Saul of Tarsus decides he's going to uh, imprison Christians and he's going to kill them for believing in Jesus. And, and he goes out and he raises so much havoc uh, later on, he becomes a Christian. We call him Paul the Apostle, but he causes so much havoc that everybody ran for their life from Jerusalem. And it says in Acts 8, verse 4, but the believers who, went were, who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. And I find that an amazing statement. They're fearful because they've been preaching about Jesus and now they're going to get killed for it, and so they run away. But wherever they go, they do the thing that got them in trouble. Why? Because it's burning in their heart. It's something that they can't let go of. It's powerful. It changes. It goes on and says, Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and he told the people there about Jesus the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and to see the miraculous signs he did. Remember, Jesus said he was going to send the Holy Spirit. The Spirit would be poured out. And, and now these guys have got this power working in their life and they did these miracles. As they prayed, God answered. It says many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lamed were healed. And so there was great joy in the city. It changed Jesus' followers. The resurrection changed Jesus' followers. Paul was changed. He had persecuted Christians. He jailed them. He was a Christ-hater, but he became the most successful missionary in the first century. We're changed. Our lives are changed. We're rescued. We're forgiven. The Bible says this in Colossians, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Our freedom. The Bible depicts our habits as bondage, the bad junk that goes on in your life. And it says that he came to set us free from this stuff. You know, Ernie Hunt is sitting right in the chair that he used to always sit in when we were back in Ben Parker. He would sit right there in church for 11 years, every Sunday morning, drunk. Hungry for God and drunk. But hungry for God. I used to, he was like my favorite member of our church. Because I saw so much earnest, and I didn't know why God didn't set him free. I just saw that here's a guy that's so, so serious. And he so, 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 so wants to be different. And he's struggling so hard. 
And to me, I actually sort of took it like, God likes me as a pastor or he wouldn't have Ernie there. I'm privileged to be preaching to this guy every week. And then one day the Lord just set him free. I asked Ernie about it a few weeks ago. He just said, well, I just hit bottom and, 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 and something happened and, and one day it happened. One day, boom, one day. Been an alcoholic for years and years and years, one day, over. It says here, he came to set us free and then it says, and he came to forgive us our sins. We talk so much about forgiveness of our sins without talking about the setting free part. And that's why we're talking about this Easter being, this changes everything. You know, I know I'm running you all around the Bible tonight, and I don't usually do that. Usually we pick a passage and work our way through it. But I'm, I'm running you around the Bible because I want to talk about how our lives are supposed to be changed. They're supposed to be transformed. We didn't join a club. We didn't come and, 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 and adopt a philosophy. We encountered the risen Son of God who poured His Spirit out into our life and changes us like Ernie, who's now running the, all the recovery groups in our church. So appropriate the way that God works in people's lives. Am I making sense with this? Our lives are to be changed and we should expect it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says that the Holy Spirit, who's poured out because of the resurrection, produces this kind of fruit in our life, this kind of behaviors in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's a change. There's a transformation as we come into the Lord and, 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 and we become friends of God. Romans chapter 5 says that we can rejoice in our new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ who has made us friends of God. We are friends with God. We're, we're at the point where we, 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 we believe in something we can't see. You can't see God. You can't see the Holy Spirit. But you can see the results of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. You see people who are vastly transformed. And as you see that, you go, wow. And then you start looking up and you start to pray and, and, and you start to figure out that when you enter into a relationship with Jesus and, and, and you start praying for stuff, stuff happens. And it changes everything. It changes everything. Well, we got a little video that we want to show you and then we're going to wrap up here. And uh, take a look at this. you like it. My life before God, I was an um, addict. It was just a complete mess. Um, I was just living day to day, uh, just chasing the high. I've been coming up here, um, and I was not a, I was serious, I thought, in my heart, but I was still drinking, and I've been drinking since I was 12 years old. I used to think I was a good mom, and uh, I, but I continued to drink. You think you have friends, you think you have good relationships, you think you're having fun. And no matter how much I tried to do, how much I tried to fill that, there was this empty feeling. My life after God, I moved out here basically with the clothes on my back about three years ago and God's blessed me with everything. He's taken away my desire for smoking, for any of the previous addictions I have and uh, just given me a new life and I'm truly thankful. 
I never thought I'd get married in my entire life. In fact, I told my friends I wouldn't, but God brought me a godly woman, and now I'm married. I, God brought me godly friends, and there's this joy and peace and things in my life that I was looking for and trying to replace with the club, trying to replace with all the different women that I was involved with, and it just never happened until I came back to God. A lot of people know me already that uh, I've conquered it through Jesus. He's worked amazing things in my life. I'm even a better mom now because I don't drink anymore. This changes. This changes. This changes. This changes. This changes everything. Good. Uh, you know, each, each one of those, um, each one of those little, is this on? You can hear? All right. Each one of those videos is a little bit of a different story. The Japanese girl, Yuna, that you saw uh, came through the loss of people in her life who died in the earthquake in Sendai. Uh, she came here a non-believer. She experienced the love of Christ and the power of God in her life here. She's now involved in a little church of about 40 people called Jesus Lifehouse. Actually, Jesus Lifehouse Tokyo is the biggest church in Japan, but they started a church in Sendai. She's become an evangelist. She's bringing her friends to the Lord right and left. Tim told you the story about his freedom from the addictions that were in his life. Uh, the guy is the happiest guy in our whole church. Uh, Robert Rodney telling you about the club scene and what his life was like there. And, and, and now he's married and, 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 and he's settled. You know, not a guy with big addictions, but just he's settled. It's different. There's Barb, who was an alcoholic that... You know, we had almost given up prayer for her. Uh, her son had come to the Lord through a young man in our church, and he brought his sister. Uh, today she's working with Samaritan's Purse in Sendai in Japan. Uh, and then together they end up bringing their mom to the Lord. And, uh, uh, and she said earlier that she was an alcoholic since she was 12 years old. And within the last year, she's, she's come to know the Lord, and, and God has gracefully, graciously transformed her life. You know, the interesting thing is, as this message kind of winds itself down, that our lives ought to be influential in changing the lives of other people. You know, uh, one of the tragic, tragic quotes of all time is Gandhi, and I got it written down, I want to read it. I like your Christ, this is Mahatma Gandhi, the guy who transformed in India. He says, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians, they are so unlike your Christ. I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. They're so unlike your Christ. But we want to be people who are like Christ. Because we've met Jesus, that we have the fruit of the Spirit. We have the grace and the graciousness to love people who are different than we are. You know, I, I used to hear people saying it's such a cliche thing uh, that, I, that I don't even like saying it. But that, you, you know, that you're supposed to hate the sin and love the sinner. I grew up in the 1950s where cliches were cool. But somehow the church has actually forgotten to do that. Christianity today has got a reputation of, of, of being on the attack of other people for their, for their lifestyle or their belief or their whatever, their whatever, their whatever. We're not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be people who are, 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 are 
positively representing the Lord Jesus and what's happened in our lives. It describes the early church in the book of Acts, and it says, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It, 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 it says before that, they had great favor with their neighbors. Because, what? The fruit of the Spirit. There's so much love coming out of these people. They got great favor with their neighbors. And as a result of that, every day, more and more people are coming to know Jesus. People are, are coming into him because they see something of change in the lives of the believers. The resurrection made a difference in their life. In Acts chapter 17, it describes the, the Christians when they, they, they come to a new city. And uh, these people are actually griping about it when they say this. But in Acts chapter 17, it says, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. You know, the question that I have to ask myself is, whose world have I turned upside down lately? Because you know, this is an individual thing, right? Is that I meet somebody and my life ought to have an influence on them and ought to have an impact. I'm getting to know my neighbors. We've, we, you know, having moved, we're getting new neighbors. And, and uh, uh, I, I have a, a neighbor who's quite young and, and he's really into motorcycles and, and uh, he, he's got a really good trade that he does. He, he works with his hands and he, he does quite well at it. And so he's into dirt bikes and all this kind of stuff. And, and they're into Pahani, you know, this party every, every night. And, and uh, it hasn't been for a little while, but when I first moved there, it was literally every single night there was a party there having people over at their house. And, and I'm trying to figure out how can I get myself invited over for a beer? <laughs> and so yesterday, um, because I keep odd hours, you know, I, I know two days are the same for me. Some days I go in at noon and I work till 10 o'clock at night. Other days I go in the morning and I work normal kind of a day. Um, my days off are Monday and Thursday, which are unique. So uh, he, he's been trying to figure me out. His, my wife and his wife have made friends. And so he comes up to me yesterday and goes, so, so uh, are you retired? And so I know I told him I was, I'm a pastor. And it's like, and, and then we started talking about cars and bikes, and, and it's like, you know about that stuff too? You know? Well, we'd just be normal, likable people because Jesus has changed our life, and we ought not to be people who are throwing rocks at others and judging people. And we ought to be turning people's world right side up, if it makes sense. This changes everything, the fact that we've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to end with a scripture. I'm reading it from the Message Bible, um, which is a nice translation. It, it, it's, it's where Jesus says, I've come to give life and to give it more abundantly. The Message Bible puts it this way. It says, I have, I have come so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I've come so that they can have real and eternal life, and they can have more and better life than they ever dreamed of. The whole thing about Easter was planned. You can go scriptures all the way back to the book of Genesis and prophesy Jesus. You go through the whole Old Testament, woven through the words of these prophets who never met each other, who lived in different centuries, and their words all fit together, hand in glove. And they all describe one life, and you have this one person who lived this one life, 
and some of the prophecies are these amazing prophecies that if you read them before it happened, you wouldn't get them. Remember, I read it tonight. Jesus said to his, to his disciples, after he had risen from the dead, they told me I needed to stand on this carpet, and I just walked off it. <laughs> and it makes it harder than the video, guys, and so I gotta be good. After, after he had risen from the dead, Jesus comes back to his disciples and said, why did you have such a hard time understanding this? Well, I'll tell you why they had such a hard time understanding it. Because all the prophecies were fine, and you could all get it, that all these things are going to happen in the life of the person who's the Messiah. We get it. Except for that they prophesied that he would die and raise from the dead. And that part, it's like, we can't get that. That Saturday must have been a gloomy day for them. That Saturday after the crucifixion must have been a horrid day. That morning when those women went out to that gravesite uh, to put spices on the body and anoint the body with oil, they weren't going out there to see the resurrected Lord or, or, or an empty tomb. They were going out there to, 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 to mourn somebody that had died. And it was so hard for them to understand the Old Testament because the Old Testament said this fantastic thing would happen. And apparently the fantastic thing did happen because all these people gave their lives as testimony to the fact that it happened when somebody tried to stomp it out. And yet, the further prophecy that after he's risen, what Isaiah said is, is, is many, many, many will follow him has come true today. A third of the population of the earth are active engaged followers of Jesus Christ. This changes everything, this resurrection. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you tonight, and uh, most of us in this room have known you for a long time. Uh, we are, in fact, Christians, Christ followers. And... we some ways become jaded when it comes to Easter. We know it so well, and we're so sure of you in our life that it's really hard to even get our attention focused on the events of Easter because we, we, it's just an everyday fact to us. But Lord, we pray that the words that we've heard from Scripture tonight would touch us and change us and challenge us. Lord, I, I want my life to be lived in a way that it turns other people's lives right side up. I want the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be so central to my life and the, and, the, and, the, and the power of the Holy Spirit that's poured out as a result of that, that it touches people, touches them where they live, where they hurt, where they bleed. Lord, I want to have more miracles like Ernie Hunt in our church. I want to have more miracles like Tim, like Barb, like like the guys that we saw, Robert, on the video, Yuna, like so many that are sitting here right now, would make us a force for change in this community, driven by the resurrection. Now I want you to keep your eyes closed for a moment. I, uh, I didn't preach anything tonight about how to become a Christian or why to become a Christian or any of that. But I am assuming that if you bothered to come to church on Easter and you're not used to coming to church on Easter or in, on a regular Sunday, Saturday, whenever, uh, it's because there's something in your heart that's hungry for something of God. 
And if that describes you, then what I have is good news for you. You can come into a relationship with God simply by praying and inviting the Lord to come into your life. It's that easy. And in fact, that's the only way. You don't get there by joining an organization or a church or anything else. You get there by praying. And so if you'd like to pray and then ask the Lord into your life, uh, we're going to pray in just a minute. And I just want you to kind of uh, hitchhike on my words. You can just pray under your breath and as I pray out loud. Uh, but it, I'd like for you to just join me in a prayer that says, God, I, I, I believe that you caused your son to raise from the dead. And I want to hang my hat on that and believe that because of that, you made possible for me to have a relationship with you and I'd like to have a relationship with you. And so if you'd like to pray with me, I want you to tell me that we're going to pray together. And the way that we're going to do this, I'm just going to count to three. If you plan on praying with me, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. I see one, two. Okay, you can put your hands down. Let's pray. In fact, let's all pray. John Bevere did this last week. Let's all pray this prayer, and let's all pray it out loud um, together. I'll say the words, and you say the words. Dear God, thank you that I'm here tonight, and thank you for the thoughts running through my brain. I believe in you. I believe that you love me, that you care for me, that Christ died to cancel my guilt, that Christ died to change my life, and that I can be all that I'm supposed to be, that my life can be fulfilling, that my life can change the world. I invite you into my life as the Lord of my life. I invite you to change me in any way that I need to be changed. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you all.